All right, everybody, let's go ahead and get started. Then we'll get, we'll get done pretty quickly today. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time you've given us to get into your word, to better understand how we can war in this warfare and how we can be effective and proactive and not reactive in it. But we'll be uh, believers that are able to excel and to do things without sweat or any demonic interference. And I pray that, Father God, as I speak your word with, with clarity, that it will give insight and wisdom and revelation to these young people and myself. And we just appreciate that, Father. But when I turn my attention, well, I ain't going to turn my attention down, but I come against every demonic spirit, <laughs> anything that may be trying to war against myself. I counsel every plot and scheme of the enemy against myself, my family, and everything that belongs to me. With that being said, God, I turn my attention back to you, and I thank you for that authority being evident uh, in our, all of our lives so that we'll be able to live our lives in abundance. And we appreciate that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for the last few weeks, we've been like, for those who know, hey, come on in. Hey, come on in. Thank you, my brother and sister. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual warfare, and, and it's, it's a very important uh, topic to discuss um, because whether we believe it, whether we receive it or not, we are in the middle of it. And if we're not cautious or cognizant of it, then we'll find ourselves destroyed by it. But last week we talked about, let me read the verse real quickly. If I can find it, make sure I got, well, there we go. Uh, verse 12 of, of uh, Galatians 6 or Ephesians 6, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor uh, of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Okay. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So last week we talked about the power of Jesus' righteousness on our lives. Recap real quickly. We talked about how uh, about the power of Jesus' righteousness on our lives and how it puts us in right standing. So legally, all of us who are believers, because of Jesus' righteous life, I'm in right standing with God legally. Like right now, uh, 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 his righteousness was placed on me. My sins was placed on him. Therefore, legally, when I've confessed and repented of my sins and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am legally in right standing. I am justified as a son of God. You're justified as his children. That is power. And when you understand lawyer terms or, or legalities, you understand that once the paper has been signed and the blood has been shed, I'm going from uh, from death to life. Now I can live as if I am an heir and joint heir with Christ. The issue is, I believe, is that many of us, we find ourselves in guilt, shame and condemnation because of how our emotions feel versus where we're legally spiritually. Now, there's a big difference between perfection and righteousness. What's the difference? Can someone tell me? Perfection and righteousness. What's the big difference? Uh huh. Oh man, that's good, family. Say that one more time for all of us. Say it one more time. That's real. So Jesus uphold, uphold that law because he embodied the law. I don't know if y'all saw the chosen clip, probably one of the most powerful clips 
um, I guess the local Pharisee or Sadducee in Jesus' hometown, he was like, I need you to recant what you said. He was saying that I am who I said. I can, you know, I'm, I'm him, okay? <laughs> he, said, he said, I'm him, all right? And then the guy was like, uh, he was like, if you don't recant what you say, I will have to kill you off of the law of Moses. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Then he said, I am the law of Moses. <laughs> then they took that man. That's a bar. That's it. I am the law of Moses. So they took him to the hill. And legally, if anybody was to say that there were God, they would have to be killed. And they put him on a cliff and was about to push him. And then he stepped to them and said, not today. And all of those people were stunned and he walked in their midst. Right. So that that power, that that life, that that perfection was embodied by him. Now I embody not perfection, but progression. So what he said was righteousness is a mindset. That means my mind has to be renewed to the fact that I am in right standing with God that I'm an heir and joint heir with Christ, and there's benefits that comes with this. And when I understand that, the moment I fall into sin or make a mistake, I don't even give condemnation an opportunity. I don't even allow myself to feel guilty because I'm not guilty. I don't allow myself to feel ashamed because I got a game to play. Like, I don't allow myself to succumb to something that he overcame for me. But a lot of young people may not have been taught this to the point to where they understand that, you know, my goal is not to be perfect. My goal is to progress in the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in my life. So now you can make all the mistakes in the world. I'm talking about trying to live right. Right. Or we're not talking about the Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace abound? What the word say? God forbid. So there's a, there's two sides to that coin. Some people say, oh, thanks, Jesus, for what you did. You dap them up and be like, I'm just going to go sin anyway. But they wasn't impacted by what he did. Now, for instance, uh, Debbie, somebody comes in this room right now. Coming to kill you. They shoot the gun. I jump in the way. Right. I get hit. I die. How would you live your life in memory of me? Yep. You see the significance of the replacement. So what that means is he took something that I was supposed to take. He took a death that I was supposed to take. So <clears throat> I think the issue with us is because we wasn't there on Calvary. We didn't see what it took for us to have what we have. We didn't see that he was beaten unrecognizably. We didn't see that they ripped his beard off of his face. Now, when my daughter rips my beard, that hurts. But imagine a grown man grabbing your beard. And you know how Jewish people, they had the long beards and snatch your beard off. They say they beat him so bad that organs was falling out from the cat of nine tails. That when they was beating him with the cat of nine tails, the, the nails and the stuff that was glued to the tar ripped his skin off. So you can imagine the smell of flesh. When his flesh was ripped, but not only that, he still had to carry his cross up Calvary. Not only that, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39, 39
They said if they would have hit him 40, if they would have hit him 40 times, he would have died. Wow. So physically, you, well, realistically, you can't. It's not just because he's God. Like, what you mean? Because the man's organs was kind of like. But if he was, there we go, there we go. If he was one of us, but see, he was a man on a mission. So there, but, but think about this though. Like, it's crazy how your calling is connected to your cross. He was a carpenter's son. So he was already familiar with the weight of wood. So imagine you already knowing how wood feels because you know how you're going to feel the wood when you die on the cross, right? And when you understand the parallels, then you will say, you know what? You took that for me. And the most powerful moment was when Jesus looked up and his father turned his back on him because all of our sins were placed on him. I'm so glad that God turned his back on him so his back would never be turned on me. So that means because my sins were placed on him, now God says, I can face you, even though I see the mess over here in your heart, even though I see that, but I'm in work because you've accepted the finished work of my son. So when I have that mindset that I am legally in right standing with God, that should inspire righteous living. I am not saved because of my righteous living. I'm saved because of someone living a perfect life so that I can have life and have it more abundant. Now, let's ask a couple of questions before. Let me break down a couple of definitions. Um, Righteousness by definition is the quality of being morally right or justifiable. It means acting in accord accordance with divine or moral law. It means free from guilt or sin. So righteousness as a person who's righteous before God because of Jesus, I am now free legally from guilt and shame. Now, if you're free from guilt and shame, can you still feel guilt and shame? Yeah. If I'm free from it, but I don't know that I'm free from it, then I'm going to still feel guilt and shame. So now... Imagine if your mind has been renewed to that fact that because of what Jesus did, now you can live. Now you have the power to live right. See, I can't live right. Being a husband, being a father, being a teacher, I cannot do that in my own strength. So I have to rest and rely on the workings of the Holy Spirit in my life, which means I have to fellowship with him, which means I have to say, you know what? I'm not I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect father. I'm not perfect. But perfection is not required of me. Righteousness is. So, for instance, I'm pretty sure we don't my wife and I don't have many arguments. It's not about, oh, I'm gonna feel guilt and shame because the argument happened. I'm a rightly rebound from what caused the argument. Righteousness gives me the bandwidth to rebound, to say, you know what, even though I may not have started perfectly, but if I remind myself of the perfect work of Christ, now I can rebound perfectly. So now I can go back in any situation knowing, you know what, yeah, I'm not going to be perfect, but I can position myself in God and do it the right way. So the quality of being morally right. Now, morally by definition is with reference to the principles of right and wrong behavior. All of us with a show of hands, no right and wrong, right? Yes. I mean, even babies know right and wrong. Yes. 
Babies, babies know what. See, it's funny when Hannah is uh, when I'm holding her and she wants something. You know, if she wants her mama, she she's stomping, she's stomping. And then as soon as I give her, she'll fake cry. Now she's at the age where she's fake crying. So she's crying loud to get what she wants. And then when she get what she wants, she turns at me and smiles. I said, I'm going to let you get away with it right now. <laughs> but when you get to that pop, pop stage, we're going to fix that. The issue is, <laughs> I'm going to fix it the right way, a righteous way, right? But <laughs> I'm too, that's why I told my wife, she's going to have to beat her. She's she going to have to beat her because uh, I'm too heavy handed. But anyway, righteousness says I have to remember <laughs> my right standing. Now, morally means we all know what's right and wrong. Why is it easy to do wrong and hard to do right? Go ahead, Drew. I knew Drew. Drew, <laughs> Drew was like, <laughs> go ahead, Drizzy. Mm -hmm. That's what we used to. That's what we used to. That's good. Yes, yes. It's not stressful. Mm -hmm. You try to stay in shape. You have to go to the gym, lift weight, and you know get right. Mm -hmm. If you eat junk and you keep you keep eating junk, it's sweet and it's nice and you eat junk. Yeah. You have to be disciplined. And discipline is difficult. But the reward of discipline is always greater than the reward of desire. I know for a fact that when I don't go to the gym, you know, that, 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 well, you know, my, my, my delicacy is now a little bougie now. So, you know, I don't go to, I don't do the honey buns anymore. You know what I'm saying? I do a little bougie snacks. You know, we look, we in new levels. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a little bougie, you know what I'm saying? A little delicacies. Huh? Whole foods. Whole food. Whole food. Whole food. But that delicacy is enjoyable for a moment. But when I go to the gym, I'm fueled for like hours. When I go to the gym and I go back and do a video, my video quality after post-workout is greater than post-eat-out. <laughs> right, you see what I'm saying? Post-delicacy. Post -delicacy. There's levels to this, right? Yeah, yeah. Post-delicacy. So what I'm saying is God made this life for us to understand the benefits of discipline so that we can understand that the greatest fruit and outcomes is after discipline. And so when we understand that, we'll say, you know what? It may be difficult to forgive my dad or to forgive my mom or for you to forgive whoever, whatever, or for you to do whatever. But when you break through that, there's a greater freedom versus, well, guilt, not guilt, shame, but being mad and upset and resentful is easier than actually pressing into forgiveness. And that's why the enemy doesn't want you to feel the fulfillment of what comes with freedom on the opposite side of fear. He wants you to stay afraid. No, don't, don't press through. Don't live righteous. Don't. It's easier to be victimized than being a victor. It's easier um, to, to be sunken in a sunken place than to be in the brink of your place. It's easier. But when I understand that by the work of the Holy Spirit, Righteous living becomes easier over time. Then you go from sinning all the time in that area to sinning sometimes to sinning a, a, a few times. And you wake up one day and be like, man, I don't even desire that no more. 
That's the beauty of walking with God. The issue is we look at Christianity as a destination and not a journey. When you understand it as a journey, you'll be gracious to yourself. You'll be self-compassionate. You'll say, you know what? Yeah, I made this mistake. Okay, but I'm going to rebound. I'm going to remember. I'm going to allow the righteousness of Jesus to, to embolden me because I don't got time. Now, how many people you know, or maybe it's you, where you said, man, you're still imprisoned by a mistake you made years ago. Don't raise your hand, but just think about it. There's some people in here who's like, man, I am still imprisoned by guilt, shame, and condemnation off of what I did. And now I think that God looks at me a certain kind of way. There was a talent, you know, not a talent, but a story about the talents. I don't know if I said this here, but there was the one that had the five, the two, and the one. The five that was given the five talents, and that's why you can't get mad who has more talents because they have greater capacity. For instance, um, there are some people who have a, a, a global calling. Some people have a national calling. Some people have a local calling. Some people just have a family calling. Some people just have a calling to their house. And so if you envy someone with five and you got one, you'll do what the one did. We'll get to the one in a minute. But the two and the five went immediately to go maximize and multiply their talents. The one, the Bible says, when the master came back, before he came back, that one person dug his talent, hid his talent, didn't do nothing with the talent. The master comes back, the one with the five, boom, Gio, I done made five more. Good and faithful servant, appreciate you, well done, thank you, right? The one with the two doubled his, and he got four, but the one came back and was like, you know, his talent was all dirty because it was in the ground. And he said, because I saw you as a hard man, I went and buried my talent. What that means is he viewed him as a hard man, which means he viewed him wrong. Because we view God outside of how God desires to be viewed, now all of a sudden we hide ourselves, hide our talents, because why did Adam and Eve hide? Man, I'm getting deep now. Adam and Eve hid because Adam forgot who God is. Now, I tell people all the time, like if 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 God was mad, mad and his and his creation was destroyed, destroyed. Right. He would have immediately judged them. He would have never said, Adam, where are you? When people he would have just been like, you're out of here. <laughs> right. He asked Adam a question. Because I promise you, it is not in the Bible in the word, but I'm pretty sure I know God enough to know this, that why would he ask him, where are you if he wasn't giving Adam an opportunity to repent? But because Adam blamed the woman, now at the worst part of him, the worst part of the blame game, the worst part, the worst part of the blame game was not that he blamed Eve, but that he blamed who? What do you say? The woman you gave me. If he would have said, you know what, God, it's on me. So, for instance, he didn't. If God now think about this, because if Adam would have repented and Eve did, you don't think God wouldn't have put Adam at rest again to pull another rib out? Yeah, I don't know how many ribs we got. You know what I'm saying? Eve then said the serpent. She blamed the serpent. If, the, if Eve would have said, you know what, it was my fault, God, God would have gave her another Adam. But because they blamed everyone else, but didn't take responsibility 
for what they did, they had to leave. So we have to remember that if I just simply say, yo, God, that's on me. Even in their era, he still clothed them. So when we view God wrong, we'll blame. But if we view God as loving, kind, but about his business, then we understand he chastens those whom he loves. That when God is not promoting you and not blessing you and things not happen, it's because he loves you. But if you view him wrong, you'll go bury your talent. And how many people right now burying their writing gift, burying their singing gift, burying their entrepreneurial gift, burying it, burying it because they don't believe they're good enough in the eyes of God. And God is saying, you mean to tell me you can't do that after all I did to put you in a position to do? So now it don't matter. Like I'm on book 11. It's like, yo, I'm not doing this because because I want to do it. I'm doing it because, man, I get to do it because of his grace and mercy, because I'm in right standing. So the devil can mess you up because he'll say it is true. What you did is true. And it's true. We messed up. That sin you did yesterday, that sin we did, whatever sin we did, it is factually true. So the devil wants to paint the picture on what you did. And not on what Jesus did. So when I know that I'm in right standing, I go to my lawyer. So, you know, so for instance, you know, I got to talk to my lawyer first. You got to talk to my lawyer. You got to go through my uh, what's the athletes, people that got their uh, agent. Talk to my agent because my agent knows more about the business. Oh, man. See, we don't know enough about the legality spiritually to do it for ourselves. So we have to go to God and be like, yo, Satan, yo. That's that's above my pay grade. <laughs> you got to talk to my lawyer about that. I'm in right standing legally. So guilt, shame and condition cannot be here anymore. Right now, I'm going to go forward. I can repent like like I, I tell like it don't matter what my wife does, man. Like 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 all my daughter, like like it don't matter what they do. Like I'm going to come home. Like <laughs> you know I'm saying like I'm going to come home. Like it don't matter if me like me and my wife whatever we get in an argument, like I'm not going to not come home. You know what I'm saying? Like 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 she and she's petty too. Like like <laughs> See see those who know me, I'm 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 the nice one. I'm um and they look at my wife and they assume that my wife is just my wife is mean, <laughs> not mean, but she's tough, direct, like will cut you off. <laughs> of course, I had to marry someone like that, because if, if we both was like me, <laughs> you know, there'll be problems. So my wife will get in an argument. Right. And she knows that when I when we get in an argument and I'm in my feelings, I go to the grocery store. She knows, and so while I'm in the store cooling off, a text comes in. Can you get milk? We need eggs. We need muffins, blueberry muffins. Also, can you get? And after that, I don't got to. I got in the car, and then she, oh, by the way, can you grab some grapes? I gotta go back while I'm upset. I gotta go back in the grocery store, get this woman some grapes. You know what I'm saying? But it's because she's. She's in a position that requires me to fulfill my position, even if I don't want to feel even if I don't feel like doing it, which means God, because I'm his child. 
is going to do what's right by me. For instance, there's a difference between promotional blessings and um, other blessings, right? Or uh, provisional blessings, right? So, for instance, my daughter gets about 14. Hannah gets 14. She gets in trouble, right? When she comes home, let's, let's say she's 17 and she want to drive somewhere, right? She comes home. She's in trouble. See, as her father, I can take the promotional blessing from her. You can't drive nowhere. I'm sorry. You home. You want punishment. You ain't going nowhere. We're going to that, we're gonna go to that kitchen table. We're going to open up the Bible and we're going to read. <laughs> I'm just joking, just joking. I ain't going to be that parent. But, 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 am I, as a good father, am I going to hold back her food that night? No. So with God, because I'm in right standing, the issue is we focus too much on why God hasn't promoted me versus how God has provided meals for me. And so how we view God affects what we do in our lives. So if we understand that because of Jesus righteous life, now I'm in right standing. And the issue is we don't know how to be dignitaries. We don't know how to be king's kids. We don't know what it's like to be to walk in royalty and and walk in in, in, in that level of of kingdomness because we're so used to people being fickle and changing on us. Now, let's get the breastplate. It says put on. Let me see if I find the verse. It says uh uh, and having put on the breastplate of rice. We talked about a breastplate protects what? Chest. <laughs> your chest. Your heart. Your heart. There we go. <laughs> your chest too. Pectorials. Yep. But, it, but most importantly, it protects your heart. Why is the heart valuable? Because if you don't have it, you die. If you don't have it, you die. Now, that's the physical. Now, someone give me the spiritual aspect of, of why the heart is valuable. I'm talking about like the, the mind part of you, the heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Or like in short terms, but Christianity is more than just like a relationship. It's more so your heart, your heart posture That's towards real. God. Yep. So like if your heart ain't right, then mm. you're not going to be inclined to. You're not going to be inclined. You're not going to have the right view of God. Basically. That's real. That's real. So we have to have the breastplate on to guard our hearts because if we do not protect our hearts, then our hearts will spew out of us what we allow to get inside of us. For instance, if you know for a fact, like people who don't have self-love, the Bible says the perfect love of God does what? Cast out all fear. What is it? Why, why do we need God's love? How does love overcome fear? There we go. Love, when I'm reassured, like when I'm reassured that I'm loved by God, I'm not afraid of anything. For instance, you know, if when you was a little kid and, and you know, whoever your uncle, dad or someone who, who, who can fight or whatever, like or you had a big brother. Right. And when you walking down the street and they pick him, you're like, I'm going to get my brother. He's going to kill you <laughs> today's back in my day. We fight on the corner. Today's day, you're getting shot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But anyway, anyway, that's why when someone says, I'm going to go get somebody, that means I'm leaving that place. You know what I'm saying? Because whoever you're going to go get, I don't know if they're crazy. I don't know. Like, I don't want stray bullets, right? But anyway, 
When you know that you got a big God and you know you got a God that's, you know, Elijah, for instance, when he brought the 450 uh, uh, um, worshipers of Baal, pre, uh, priest of, or the pro, prophets of Baal, right? He was mocking them. And I was looking at, because I got this revelation while watching a storybook. Storybook go hard, bro. I'm sorry. Don't, don't hate on story. Superbook. What I say, what I say? Storybook? Oh, that's the hood version? My bad. Superbook. <laughs> Superbook. I must have the bootleg version. But Superbook, the way Elijah was laying back, he was mocking them. He was saying, oh, y'all should cry louder or y'all should dance stronger. Where's your God at? And then he was so confident about his God. He said, listen, imagine you're this confident. It ain't rained in three years. And you telling people to get the last bit of the water that's left? So you basically saying, I know my God's such a provider. I'm going to take all the water that's left, dip it on the altar, and people are looking around. Yo, what Elijah doing, man? You know, good well, no fire, going to burn him no water. You know, they talk to people whispering. And then because he was trying to prove that my God can not only cause a fire, but it will lap up the water. So what he was saying was, my confidence in God is so strong that he can overcome even the impossibilities within the framework of time. So imagine if we had that confidence in him. Like, you know what? Hey, yeah, I'm going to do this. This is the career I'm going for. This, this is my calling. God called me to it, and it's going, I'm going, to, it's going to work. Yep, God showed me this in a vision. He showed me this in a dream. It's going to happen. You know what? He shall supply all my needs or a thousand may fall at my left. Like right now, I don't care if a bomb drops in Charlotte. Ten thousand, a thousand going to fall at my left. Ten thousand at my right hand and my house won't be touched. Imagine if you have that belief, a nuclear bomb drops and your house is still standing. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I mean, they dropped them. They dropped them boys in the furnace. So the thing is, if you don't believe it, then how can you really receive it? Like, I believe, I, I, I pray over my family all the time, like nothing, like with long life, he will satisfy me. Like, as he ain't dying, <laughs> I ain't dying until it's time to go. I ain't dying until I look up and be like, yep, time to go. <laughs> that's, when I'm, that's when I'm out of here, right? But that's the conversation you have to have. For Tom's sake, we'll, we'll do a part two with this. Now, let's talk about the heart real quick and why we need to protect it. Number one. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The issue is, uh, you know, we'll be like, uh, trust your heart. What, what's the idiom that goes with it? Like, uh, follow, your follow your heart. You can't follow it. It's deceitful. Your heart says he's cute. Your heart says she's amazing. Your heart says all these things, but your heart can't differentiate the parts because it's deceitful. It's desperately like the Bible says, deceitful above all things. So your heart is the most deceitful thing in all existence. Deceitful. The Bible then doubles down and says that it's desperately sick. So now, like, for instance, that's why society dumbs down the words, because the devil knows the power of words. So if you think about what sounds worse, adultery or affair? 
Adultery sounds. <laughs> affair sounds like you had affair. Entanglements. What sounds worse, fornication or sleeping with someone? What sounds worse? Well, anyway, you, you know where we're going with this, right? So if I can remove the significance of the word and dilute it, then people will be polluted. Because now, if it doesn't, if, if that's why you look at modern day Christianity, modern day Christianity makes you feel, that's why if you look at preachers today, that's why I used to, when Pastor Gould used to say, so back about 10 years ago, when I, about 12 years ago, when I first got back from ORU, ORU, those preachers in ORU, them, they, they was jeans, shirts, and stuff like that. And, I, and Pastor Gould had made a comment, he's like, I'll never, I'll always wear a suit. And in my young mind, I was like, what's wrong with wearing these different things? Until one day the Holy Spirit was like, when was the last time you saw a president in front of people not in a suit? When was the last time you ever seen anybody of any dignified position not in a suit? When John Morant went to go see Adam Silver, I'm pretty sure he had on a suit. You see what I'm saying? Because there's something about presenting yourself in a certain place. So now if, if the preachers, the pastors who are, who are greater than presidents are dumbed down in the eyes of people wearing jeans and V-neck shirts, then what is it going to do into the minds of people? If, 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 if everything about Christianity is no longer serious, then you won't take it serious. So now, if, if Christianity has become the cool, cool kids club or it's become this, this place of fun, which is nothing wrong with that, but when it comes to the things of God, do you know the priests? The, what they had to wear to go into the holies of holies? Do you know what Moses had to do? He had to take his shoes off. He said, God was like, yo, Jays ain't even, you know, take, take the Moses, take the Moses 11s off. Like, don't, like don't, don't, don't wear that with me. Give me what I gave you. So what I'm trying to say is, is when those things are diluted, then, like I said, our heart stays polluted. Right. That's why we need to protect our hearts, because our hearts are deceitful. Usually if your heart see, there's a difference between here here and here. You know, they say, trust your gut. Do you know, scientifically proven, I'm going to say this wrong, but I, I'll show you the TikTok later or something like that, or the articles that I read. The articles that I, I had, to, you know, your TikTok, you got to follow up. You, know, get, get you got to follow up, make sure you ain't swayed by nothing, right? But they was talking about there's more brain-like qualities happening in your gut more than your brain. They said that there's more activity of intelligence or whatever happening in the gut of a person in their brain. So that's why they say trust your gut, not your heart, not your mind or your brain, right? See, your brain is just a computer. That's your brain and your mind are two totally different things. Can you can you feel your mind? Can you can if a, can a surgeon cut your brain open and pull your mind out? What can they pull out? The brain. So the brain is just a machine, a library that houses information and tendencies, right? Your mind is an outer force of you. That's your heart. It's your mind. That's an outer force. Like, my mind goes beyond me. Like, do you know your mind can take you into the future? Like, like right now, if you daydream, this whole roof can open up and you can see you. Your mind can go to your future you. 
How many of our minds went back to 2006? Our minds go back often all the way back to 2016 when that person X, Y, or Z. So your mind can travel, right? And so when I understand that, like I said, I can't trust my brain. I can't trust my mind. But there's something about the gut, the Holy Ghost, you know what I'm saying? The, 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 the real intelligence that, that inspires growth. And I got to protect my heart because that thing is deceitful. When you know just how desperately sick your heart is, you get help. Now, if you got an email today saying you got stage four cancer, you got an email today and you got the best doctor, the best doctor knows your peoples for that I- injury. What you going to do? I'm going to call him up. Hey, yo, hey, yo, doc. Yo, I got stage four, bro. What you what you doing on Tuesday? <laughs> So if when you know that you're sick, you go do it. Let's not say cancer. Let's say if you just got a cold, what are you going to do? Oh, what? Hey, with a cold, you going to call. You're going to get some orange juice baby first, right? Get your vitamins. What I'm trying to say is, is that when you know you have a heart problem, you go to a heart doctor. Right? So that means I got to make sure that I understand that my heart is desperately wicked. So I need that breastplate to protect it. Because I got to say, no matter what God comes in front of you, young ladies, you got to be able to say, you know, I got to I got to I got to double check this. Like, like I got to make because my your heart, if your heart is not content in your singleness, if your heart is not content where God has you pitching your tent, then you're going to pitch a fit. And then all of a sudden now you're going to force your heart to be in something that's not legit. Right. And then you're going to find yourself in a place where you're not successful. That's scary. I I, I no other words came out. I wasn't I going to force it. See, if I forced it. You don't get around. You don't get around. You know what? Yeah, you know what time is. You don't get around. So what I'm saying is, dang, what am I saying? Oh, yeah. If legit, too legit. So what I'm saying is, if I, if I, if I, man, what? Okay. Oh, uh, man. Um, what was I saying, man? Um, oh, if my heart is, hold on. If my heart is not content where I'm at then my heart is going to do what it wants to do. So that's why when you know that you're in right standing with God and you know that God loves you, man, like, do you know, and I'm done after this, do you know God loves you? Like the Bible says, vast are the thoughts that he has of me. Vast. That God, the Bible talks about, I saw, I forgot what scripture, but it said that his thoughts about me, I ain't talking about (laughs) y'all, But his thoughts about me is more than the sands on the earth. More than the sand. So they said within, within this square of a sand, there's like trillions of sand particles. We're talking about the sand up under the water. We're talking about the sand of every beach. That's, that's the volume of positive thoughts. See, I, like, it is not, it's God, it's God is saying, it's not me keeping stuff from you. It's you keeping stuff from you. Do you know how bad I want to bless you? Do you know how bad I want to do this for you? But because of guilt, shame, and condemnation, or because of practicing sin and you're not repenting of it, that's the reason why you can't have it? Listen, it doesn't matter how much a 13-year-old cries about getting a license. What them people at the DMV going to say? In the state of North Carolina, in this jurisdiction, you're too young. Right? But does that mean you'll never drive? No. 
it's not the right time. And so when you understand, I'm going to stop here. When you understand that God loves you, that the vast, the volume of God's thoughts towards you are, are more than the, than the, than the little, little droplets of sand on all the beaches combined. And that he wants to look after you and protect you and provide all the stuff that you ever desired. But if your heart's not guarded, because we are still free will people. We still can say, you know what, God? Yeah, vast are your thoughts for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. But Jeremiah looked good. Samantha looked good. Like this person over here, but God, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go with this person. Not me. I'm talking. You got me. I don't wait it on my good thing. Lord, I bless my good thing. You know what I'm saying? You know, bless my good thing. But what I'm saying is, is that if you don't understand God's heart towards you, then you won't have the right heart towards him. And if you don't have the right heart towards him, then you can't play your part in him. And your part in him, what he has for you, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has entered to the heart of man all the things that God has for them who loves him. So today I want you to think about this evening. Think about God. Thank you for legally making me righteous. Now empower me to live a righteous life. Because uh, what are, give someone quickly, give me three benefits of living a righteous life. And we'll do part three tomorrow, next week. What are some of the benefits of living a righteous life? However you want to put it. Analogies, metaphors, or life experience. Yeah. As Mrs. Gould said, you know, when you're doing right, you're not concerned about the car. That's fine. You know, when you're driving the speed limit, you're not concerned. You're not worried about it. When you're in right standing <clears throat> and you're doing right on the road, the cop ain't going to never stop you. Anybody else? Yes. And how does that affect people? Because it helps get them close to the kingdom so they don't burn themselves. That's like today, this morning. Good gracious. Oh, <laughs> <sorry. laughs> oh you're, you're, you're a hellfire preacher, right? <laughs> She's a hellfire preacher. Okay, I got you. <laughs> it's heaven or hell, buddy. Like what, pa- what, what, what Pastor said this morning, like, like it is my responsibility, it is our responsibility, well, for men to show what a father's supposed to be. The reason why we have such decay in our world today is because the earthly fathers are not mirroring the heavenly father. And so if the earthly father doesn't mirror the heavenly father, then why bother? You see what I'm saying? So now all of a sudden, why measure up? Who am I going to measure up to if I don't have the measurement, right? But when you, when you know, despite if you had a good father or not, God is still saying, like one thing about me, and to this day, God is so, because when you're in the moment, it doesn't make sense. When I was y'all's age, it didn't make sense why my dad wasn't there, why my dad wasn't, it didn't make sense. I thought my mom and I's home structure was worse than people who had a father in, in and in a father in the home. But then I realized when I got older, a lot of the people I grew up with who had their dads in the home didn't have dads in the home. They had dads in the house, but they didn't have dads in the homes. A big difference. You can have a dad in the house that just comes home, but a home is a culture. You see what I'm saying? And so I used to think that, man, I'm about to be a statistic. You know what I'm saying? Like every article I read was like 98% of it. And then I realized when I got older, God was a present father to such a degree that when my dad was in the hospital, I forgot what year it was. He was, he was in the hospital. He called me up. And he said, man, I want to give my life to God. 
Imagine if I still have resentment in my heart towards him. Can God use you? Period. Like, do you have resentment, unforgiveness in your heart to the degree that God can't even use you to help anyone? So what I'm saying is, is that your heavenly father said, I've been here the whole time. But now is the time to see him in the right light. Thoughts, questions, concerns. Everybody's good. All hearts and, all hearts and minds clear. <laughs> all right, we're done.